The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the TechSavvyLawyer.page and host of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers, new in season, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better the practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guests to provide their top three best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea for you, and along the way, you may learn something new. My next guest is Dennis Kennedy. Dennis is a legal tech and innovation advisor, adjunct law professor, infotech lawyer, professional speaker, author, and podcaster. Dennis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you. And I think the first thing that the guests or the audience is going to want to know is what is your current tech setup? Well, I have a couple of setups because I'm actually working, uh, recording this at the place I don't usually work. But I'm sort of uh, in transition a little bit because of the pandemic has made me rethink all my tech. So I was... Uh, my focus was all mobile. Now I'm uh, for the first time in many, many years. I'm thinking about uh, going desktop focus. But I'm like a 12 oh, okay. inch MacBook, uh, all Mac. You know, i iPad, iPhone. Uh, pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, I'm sort of, uh, you know, more about software than uh, about hardware these days. But I've been a long time Mac person, and that's that's probably where where I'm headed next. Uh, I have some of my friends talking to, uh, talk me into going the huge monitor route, so right. I dip my toes into that probably this weekend, uh, and not to go huge, huge, but definitely uh, m- much bigger. But you know, working from home and uh, you know just not traveling anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's we you know I was looking at new laptop and uh, maybe iPad Pro, and now I'm looking at. You know, a desktop, uh, which is kind of like a strange place for me these days. Well, let me ask you a couple quick questions on this. So, on your laptop, you said it's a 12 inch uh, MacBook. Is it a MacBook Air? Is it a MacBook Pro? Is it just a MacBook? It's a, it's a MacBook. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite computers ever. So, it's like a 2015 MacBook, and I don't, they don't make the 12 inch anymore. And I loved it because right. it's so thin, it's mm-hmm. great for travel. Mm-hmm. All of that, so it's it's hard for me to uh, to move away from it. So I'm like sort of emotionally attached to it, and I'm not running into any constraints on it that are are particularly bothering me. Uh, but it does feel weird for me, given my my history in tech, to be hanging on to uh, to any computer this long. So well, is it running uh, the most current operating system? Uh, oh yeah, I... totally, totally current. So my thing is, I I did this survey, I uh, saw the other day, and it said like, when there's an update, do you install it right away, or do you gradually get around to it? I'm like, man, I just update everything like mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I said, I'm not running into to any significant issues uh, other than the feeling like. You know, I've just had this for a while, and uh, my daughter would kind of like it if I got a new one. So, uh, but but otherwise, like I said, no no constraint. Given what I what it is that I do these days, it's just the big change for me is uh, is is not traveling. You know, I mean, not traveling for for speaking or other things. Right. That I used to. Uh, walk down to the library about half a mile away from mm-hmm. me and, and work there during the day sometimes. And so I'm not doing that. And uh, teaching uh, at the, the law schools I was at, uh, you know, that's that semester's over, but but I was all online anyway. And so that's, that's really what got me thinking about uh, going to more of a desktop setup 
in uh, in in the big monitor. Uh, well, ha have you considered instead of going, you know, big desktop, uh, getting a laptop uh, and just use, docking it somewhere, docking at your desk? Yeah, so that's that's sort of step one on the big monitor thing. So mm -hmm. I can't go as big as some of my friends want to do because I'm just I just don't know how that's going to work. So I'm going to going to use the MacBook uh, with two monitors um, and see how that goes. And if I like it, then I'll go more to a, a desktop setup. Uh, and then uh, there's also a possibility, actually a strong possibility that in uh, uh, this in the fall, I might be uh, more back in the Windows world than I've been in f for a while. So my wife has a Windows computer I'm okay. using now, um, which is actually the, the the only real problem I have with the the Mac these days. Is I use a program called Audacity to for recording my podcast, right. and uh, it doesn't work with the the latest version of of the Mac OS. Oh, so you're kidding! I, so I actually do uh, the recording and some of my Zoom things on my my wife's computer, and then uh, you know because it's it's in the bedroom and it's a uh, I can shut the door because I just uh, these days uh, in our our new apartment I I just have a workspace mm -hmm. um, that's not not sealed off because our daughter is living with us now so so that makes me go back and forth a little bit between Windows but I just been in the Mac world so long that's you know sort of the the place I actually I use um, so I I have an iMac for my main computer at the office. And, and that's what we're broadcasting off. I also use two LG uh, 4K HD monitor screens to flank left and right. And uh, they they work really well. I'll be sure to put this in the, the show notes. And also uh, I'll make sure to send you a, a link to it because it's, you know, one, it's very popular. It's still popular. I've had this for two or three years now and uh, it's still ranked as one of the most popular uh, 4K monitors to use as an external monitor, which you could use either on an iMac or also on your laptop. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting because I was looking at different approaches to go, and then the Apple's latest WWDC mm -hmm. uh, announcements were this week, and there were all these rumors of a new iMac, so then that sort of put the halt on me going to the iMac. So I, I think there's there's sort of this transition phase that I may do, which may be the dual monitor with the laptop, then maybe the Mac mini uh, right. as a transition uh, device, and then look really hard at the iMac, uh, you know, depending on where we are kind of pandemic wise, uh, when next year, when, when Apple's gonna go to its own chipset, uh, which uh, I, th I think could be super interesting. Uh, tech. Well, one thing to remember is that when you get that Mac Mini, and if you end up getting an iMac as well, that you can still use your your Mac Mini as some sort of server or to run workflows in the background, so it's not to take the resources off your main iMac when you're doing yeah. it for typical work. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we're not boring the uh, listener with too much <laughs> Mac stuff, because uh, this is both Mac and Windows friendly. Um, but let, let me ask you our first question. So. As a law school instructor, what three areas of tech, software, or hardware will new attorneys need to be trained on, either by their own, excuse me, either on their own or by the hiring firm? So, uh, I've given this a, a lot of thought over the years and talked to a number of people, and so I, I, I do have three answers for you that I think are will be interesting to your audience. So, the one that I've heard a lot about which may surprise people is that firms feel that they have to do the most training and that law students are the least aware of document management systems. Okay. And it's almost the most important thing, especially if you're in a big firm to have some understanding of how those document management systems work. Um, in fact, there's uh, some talk, uh, at some of the law schools of even bringing in like a document management tool, say like a, a World Docs or you know, one of the sort of mid-tier ones uh, to 
to give to students during law school just so they have a, a an opportunity to experiment with that because that's sort of like a brand new thing for 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 lawsuits. So document management, um, which I think uh, you know basically introduces law students to good uh, document hygiene. I would call it you know like where you know how do you name things, how do you find things, how do you track versions, all all those sorts of things. So that ones typically aren't uh, law students aren't aware of. The second thing is okay, if, I, uh, if I may just just go back one step just just for the 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 newer attorney, when you say uh, document management, can, can you go, like, can you give some examples of some programs and, and what you specifically mean by document management? Yeah, so like, if you're in a big firm, what you're gonna find is that you might think that you're creating all your documents in Word, but basically there's a database that lies on top of, either on top of or underneath Word that's gonna, uh, take care of all the naming, tagging, you know, numbering, all, all these other systems. So you see things like net documents, uh, the names of some of these names have changed. There's one, uh, when I was at MasterCard, we, we called desk site, which I think is a kind of colloquial name for it. And then world docs, which I mentioned is sort of more in the sort of, uh, mid-size firm space. Um, and they all do essentially the same thing, but it's, um, it gives you this database structure um, that allows you to find documents, to track versions, to do searches, to do all sorts of, you may find some firms do like a custom SharePoint installation mm -hmm. to do the same thing, but it basically is breaking people away from naming their own documents and, uh, or to the extent that you do, it doesn't matter as much because there's, it's going to give you a lot of ways to find things, have the most current version, uh, you know, th those sorts of things. And so, especially in a larger firm, it's very significant. In a really small firm, you'd probably find that functionality inside a practice management tool. So like a rocket banner or a Clio. Okay. So is this... Now you keep talking about the larger firms. What about the mid-size and smaller firms? Because I, I typically look at things like um, Dropbox. Yeah, so that so Dropbox would fall into what I would call like either document storage or document collaboration. So you don't get the naming sense. So some of these, uh, some of the document management tools are probably most of them these days will have a way that people can do sharing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a category. I would say once you're, you get firms about 20 lawyers and up, mm -hmm. you, you, you start to see these really come into play. And then when you're in the, obviously in the top, you know, 200, top 500 types of firms, you're talking right. about, you know, very significant tools and they, you just couldn't run or in a, in a law department, like I was at at MasterCard, you just couldn't run the operation without but, you know, one thing to know is that Dropbox just recently updated its business uh, services. And there's, I believe, a lot of ways for uh, people on the same project to collaborate. Um, admittedly, I just came across this, I think, within the last week. I haven't had time to do a deep delve into it or deep dive. And uh, it's just something, you know, I understand what you're talking about for the larger firms, but I'm also looking from the perspective of the smaller and certainly the solo and small practitioner. Yeah, so what you would, what document management tool does, and, and I think sort of the interesting place it's going, it's going to pull in your, your Dropbox and the share, you know, cloud services as well. Because what you'd like to have as a lawyer is to say, hey, I want to find like the last lease agreement I did or, you know, whatever I did last for this client. You don't really want to, you don't care like what folders it's in or how it's named or, you know, searching that um, and, and you know say it's in Dropbox it's on your network it's local whatever you don't really care all you want to do is you just want your document you know, like you want right. the document to work on and that's that's where the document management tools um, come in and so like you said you see, you really see the, the the I think they're really valuable across the board uh -huh. it's, you know sometimes it's overkill uh, you know, in a small, but in, in a large, you know, multi-office firm, you can just really see the benefits like automatically. 
you know, as a, as a solo practitioner, I, you know, as a, or everyone knows now I, I use a Mac and, you know, I, I do have little uh, workflows that automatically file documents away for me into the proper client folders. Uh, but one of the tools I use is a program called Hootaspot that allows me to search granularly for particular files. So if I wanted to find, you know, some sort of filing I made in 2020 for client X, um, and I know it was a doc, you know, a, a part of a docket, or if it was a correspondence, you know, I could, I could basically just name those three pinpoints and say they are all in PDF, and it will pop out for me right away. So I don't have to go digging. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it's sort of the poor man's, uh, you know, world docs, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that as you there, there is a point, right, where you're saying, uh, like, I've used World Docs when uh -huh. it was just me, um, right. and it's 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 useful. I don't know that I would go that low. That's why I, I would sometimes look at the functionality within a practice management tool, like I said, a, you know, a Rocket Matter, Clio, my case, uh -huh. um, you know, Practice Panther. There's a bunch of them, and they're all cloud services, uh, which would then give you the opportunity. You know, as we're all seeing in the pandemic, right? That uh -huh. uh, if you have this tool that uh, and you're you're storing stuff in the cloud, then the fact that you know you're at home and think the document you want is on <laughs> you know in the office, right. that, that 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 issue. Gotcha, gotcha. So wait, I've got one idea. I think uh, you were going on to the second answer. Yeah. So second one is uh, pretty straightforward. So I I think that. Uh, Students these days are not bad at the Microsoft Office tools, and uh -huh. in fact, they're probably better than than a, than a lot of lawyers. They're just not used to the tasks that typically uh, that lawyers do in these tools. So there's two things that I, I think uh, that I like to talk to to my students about. In and these are essentially Word is where this is going to come up, but it's it's working with templates and creating templates and how to use old you know old versions of documents to create new ones, and then the whole track changes or or redlining, which is which is really a very new concept for for a lot of law students, and especially if you're in a transactional area. I don't do litigation, so I'm not sure how much it's used, but like. You know, track changes. It's it's hard to imagine negotiating uh, without, you know, being in the track changes environment and in Word. That one I think is is super important. And uh, the third one is is something that I taught at University of Michigan last semester, and it's more of a concept than knowing, you know, than a specific skill or technology. And I call it technology literacy. Uh -huh. And it's sort of say how can I be aware of what's out there? How can I be able to understand what my clients are asking for and, and, and just have a better sense of the universe of technology tools? So, I, you know, like a lot of people in January would not know what Zoom is, right? And now mm -hmm. many people are experts, you know? <laughs> um, right. And, you know, so... So I think it's it's how do I become you know sort of add technology literacy and I I say literacy is different than I really have to know how to do all these things and I have to have specific skills and know how to do this and use certain programs it's more like the awareness to say uh -huh. gee I wish I could do X and then to know that you have that you can do that so it could be and that clients would want to do that so if you're saying like oh I want to do a zoom call and you have a client that says oh we're not allowed to use zoom then you're able to say oh well what else can we use because right. there are similar things and I think I kind of liken that to saying like, how can I use technology to convince my clients that I'm super easy? So it's that it's an awareness of what's out there and maybe what's coming down the, the, the pike toward us. So, well, let me ask you, so how would you suggest anyone improve their technology uh, literacy? Well, I think it's like, um, the thing that's always surprised me about lawyers in the 35 plus years I've been a lawyer, 
because starting in in law school, like if there was some new legal thing that I was around a lawyer and they had never even heard of it, like within a day or two, they would be able to talk about it and, you know, convince a client they would, they knew enough to actually do the work. And so I, that, that sort of courage that, that lawyers had to to learn new things quickly was was really attractive to me and really impressed me. But when it comes to technology, a lot of lawyers just turned into 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 little babies, you know, helpless little babies. <laughs> and and so that that dissonance has always surprised me. So I think there's one of the, one of the things is to say, it's like anything else, you know. There's I need to know a certain level. Um, I need to know what's out there. I need to know that I may need to get some expert help and that's going to be available. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably just need to understand what, what my clients are going to keep running into and what, what I'll, you know, what I'll need to know. So I, I sometimes use the example of if I'm a family lawyer, I would say family lawyers these days, uh, are probably experts on social media at this point, mm-hmm. you know, it, because it's going to impact a lot of things that they do. They're probably experts on like passwords and and other things like that. If you're in the estate planning world, you're going to be really good about finding online accounts and how to handle those and how to, you know, get permissions to get into them. And it's so you don't have to say like, oh, I have to learn like all these different technologies. No, there's going to be some that are right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, if you look at the ethics rule on technology competency, I think it's uh, to me, it's it's sort of keep abreast of what's relevant uh, to you. And I, I, I just think a lot of it is not to be uh, not to get overwhelmed by sort of the immensity of all technology and to say, okay, so what's, what's happening and what's going to happen, you know? Well, so but my, my question is really, how, how do, how would you suggest attorneys who may be tech adverse expose themselves and find out about this stuff without getting overwhelmed? Well, I mean, there's a number of, uh, uh, I mean, I'm involved in, in a number of things. A lot of states, state bar associations do some, some overview technology mm-hmm. education. ABA Tech Show is a yeah. great place for oh, yeah. lawyers. Absolutely. Um, and to give you, to really let you uh, kind of see a lot of what's going on and meet other people in mm-hmm. the same position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a great uh, kind of community environment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of resources out there. So I've been involved in the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center. It's not a bad starting place. Um, but you're going to find a lot of things. Uh, some of the state bars could be in your state, could uh-huh. be in other states, have have done great jobs of getting information out there. And then I also think that in the, uh, see, like the bar committees, some of the other uh, what I call trade associations of lawyers, you know, depending on your practice area, uh-huh. um, sometimes have... Uh, groups that are focused on technology can kind of bring those things together. So that's one thing. I think always talking to to clients is is sort of my big thing. And then to say, can I like dedicate just a small amount of time and maybe maybe I'll read a book, maybe I'll watch some YouTube videos, which is not a bad way at all to to learn things. Uh There's there's tons of free webcasts and webinars, podcasts. I mean, uh, Tom Mile and I have been doing our podcast, the Kennedy Mile Report, since 2006, and we're sort of out at the front edge of technology, but, you know, we're typically, uh, you know, looking at, at things that we think could come up and, you know, from, we were talking about deep fakes in uh, audio and video and photos a few years ago. Mm-hmm. That's becoming a hot topic. Uh, um, you know, there's things about identification, uh, you, you know, other things like that. We're, we're seeing facial recognition and mm-hmm. mistakes being made with facial recognition. And I sort of think it's one of those things where uh, rather than trying to say like, I need to become a master of technologies, sort of like, I need to go to the technologies that are relevant to me that right. attract me right. and 
to learn enough to know what questions to ask. And I think that's exactly what lawyers do in their legal work all the time. So uh-huh. to me, it's just kind of like take that same skill set and just move it over to technology, <laughs> but almost on a hobby basis. Like I, I wouldn't say that you, people sometimes say, well, as a lawyer, a lawyer, Dennis, you know so much. And I go like, I, I've been, I've been studying this for 35 plus right. years, you know? So I hope, I really do hope that I know more than you by now. Otherwise, <laughs> boy, I've really wasted a lot of time. Well, uh, you know, one of the things so that that's sort of how I think about it. You know, so one of the things that helps me keep abreast, and, and you know, mind you, I, I, I was an engineering student, so I, I already had an interest in technology. But one of the things that helps me keep abreast, of course, is attending functions like the tech show, um, listening podcasts like yours and others, and just a little bit more of osmosis to start, you know, I don't have to intently be studying every word that's being said during the podcast. Um, I don't have to memorize, become a master of anything that I see at the tech show or if I go to a, a you know, a bar presentation, but at least just kind of get it through osmosis so that I become more familiar with it. And then when I realize that, hey, this could work over here and make the connection and then I follow up. Right. So you, so I sometimes look, so people say like, oh, what about something like blockchain or AI? And I go, okay, so blockchain, you know, there's a crypto piece of it may or may not revert be relevant to you. But where it's going to be relevant is in identification, proof of identification, chain of title, and chain of custody. And so if you if that's all you know about blockchain, um, you're going to have a pretty solid understanding of the places it's likely to appear. Uh And then if, if somebody says to you, and this is an example I use when I talk about estate planning. I say, what if we had a system that was based on a blockchain? So we sort of had proof that these things had happened and the death certificates were on a blockchain uh-huh. and your life insurance and the other probate title transfer things, a lot of them could also tie to this system. And you knew that you had confidence in it you had absolute confidence uh-huh. in it and um and things could start to happen automatically um then you go like oh i, I get that uh-huh. I, I, uh-huh. I see the potential of that i don't have to you know i don't have to know about bitcoin and crypto and all this other stuff or i don't have to know the details i can say hey this is where this could have an impact because in estate planning, I was, I gave a presentation. I said, I looked at my password manager. I have 360, I think, uh, online accounts with passwords. Uh-huh. In the traditional, the world of traditional probate, you would, I, I think you could make the argument that you might need 360 death certificates, you know, oh. certified death cer- certificates. Uh-huh. Uh, to transfer things and you just go that is absolutely nuts right like Mm -hmm. how could that possibly be like the that paper world where you know somebody had a couple bank accounts and this and that just gets blown away when uh we're in this electronic world and where all our banks and our accounts are not giving us any paper anyway so we're like how do we find things how do we do things and you're saying wouldn't it be great if some of this stuff did happen happen automatically uh, you know it's not it's not seamless right there's going to be issues yeah, and, yeah. Um, that's what lawyers lawyers can help with and i think that if lawyers understand that and can get involved in how procedures and products happen in those areas that's going to be a it's going to be a great thing if lawyers say "Ooh, all i do is law i don't know technology i don't want to know technology um then I, I think we abdicate something that we can for society. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's move on to the second question. Uh, what three areas of tech are attorneys underutilizing in their practice today? Well, I think we're really seeing the importance of this, and I would say that we've, we've, we're still way under, and that's collaboration tools and technologies. And so my friend Tom Isle and I wrote a book on this, A Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies. But we're really seeing it now. So everything from how do we sign things? How do we work together on things? How do we uh, meet online? How do we schedule appointments? Um, you know, 
you and I used a couple of, of different collaboration uh-huh. tools uh-huh. to get this set up and to, to do this podcast. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that. And that's, that's starting to tie with these things. You know, you're saying, okay, if the courts aren't open and whoever thinks that we're going to have 12 jurors in a courtroom in in a short period of time here, I, I think they're nuts. Uh, but but anyway, we're looking to say, okay, we have to look at these alternatives and we're dealing with rural access issues, uh-huh. you know, all uh-huh. these, you know, all these access to justice things and the technology makes sense, but it all involves ways that we work together. So even if, if we're on other sides, like I said, if we're negotiating, we right. need to show ways that we're gonna mark things up and how we can rely on those things. So that, that whole area of collaboration tools, like I said, I, I wrote a whole book about it with Tom. And, and uh, so that's always been an important, important area and that cuts across everybody. Um, and I think that that's an area when I talk to, so I teach a class called entrepreneurial lawyering at Michigan State. And when I talk to the students about how you would design uh, a new legal business, that's one of the things that's really attractive to them is like, how can they provide online meetings for clients? How can they get clients to enter information before they even meet with uh-huh. them? You know, how can you do a, a simple client portal? You know, that, that sort of thing. So those tools, I think, are, um, are really, really important. And, and they're being underused. And, uh, and probably the easiest of those in that category is the uh-huh. simple client survey, which you're just reaching out to your established client. Hey, what technology do you use? How would you prefer me to communicate with you? What format should you have your documents? That, that sort of thing. All those things can make a huge difference. Second thing is uh, what I would call incremental innovation. So lawyers are not making really simple client-directed changes um, that should be possible. And I, I and my example here would be alerts, just simple alerts, and to say, hey, what can we? Uh, hey, just wanted to let you know that your your motion was filed. Hey, just wanted to let you know that everything's ready for your motion to be filed, which would probably be a more nerve wracking thing for, for me as a client. I just want to make sure that you, you actually were on top of it. Um, can you alert me when uh, we have a budget for uh, the work you're doing for me and we're 50% of the way there or 75% of the way there? And maybe that's okay, but we just need to talk about it. So like, just these really simple simple things that that you can do um, and, and in the way that the client would want, which could even be, you know, instant messaging or, you know, other other things like that. And then that sort of leads into the to the third thing that I think uh, the smaller firms have done a good job in the past. I don't know whether that's they're still doing that great of a job now, but it's what I would call client portals, but just really simple, you know, like you're a new client, you get this place, you go on the internet, you log in, you can see your work in progress, you can set up appointments, you can grab a copy of something you need, you can leave a question, you can, you know, that sort of thing. And you go like, here's my space and I can see what's happening. And I've noticed in the last two years, the, the medical profession is killing it in patient uh-huh. portals. Man, it is awesome now. It's like you're going, wait, I can set up my appointment. I can cancel the appointment. I can get prescription refills. I can look at my records. I mean, it's like amazing. Um, and I think that uh, there's that you know level of expectation from what we see in other areas that um, it's important to start providing in law. So uh, it all goes back to, uh, for me is uh, the big question is how can I use technology to make it easier for uh, clients to work with me? And then the, the other part of that question is, and make it harder for them to leave me to go somewhere else. Right. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, That's, that's, that's one way to look at it. Hopefully, hopefully the quality of the attorney's work uh, will keep the, uh, the client, but uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying sometimes that you know sometimes just people tend to lawyer shop, which is okay in the beginning, but not after you kind of 
Well, and, and sometimes they forget that they they engage you for one thing, and then time goes by, and then they for they don't know that you do something else, right? Or that uh, they're not sure they should go back to you, or if they have a question about it, they're not sure whether it makes sense to ask that question to you or to go out and you know talk to someone else, uh, and and so, um, you know, I think that's one thing. So the client portal is this great kind of what they used to call permission marketing in a way, mm-hmm. but you have this tool that somebody will go to and you can say, Oh, here's newsletters, here's tips, you know, ask me a question. Is there, you know, here's, here's some things we advise that you look at at the end of the year, you know, that sort of thing. And um, you're just kind of sitting there providing, a, you know, valuable information to them and you're, you're staying in their mind so they, they don't say, oh, I used you for real estate last time. So um, I never thought that, um, you know, because I used you for like this commercial real estate deal that you could do some other thing that a lawyer would go like, well, obviously that's the same category, but a, a client may not. Okay, excellent. Well, those are some things to consider and hopefully uh, the listeners will be implementing in their practice if they haven't already. Let me ask you our, our final question. What three areas of technology should all attorneys be on the lookout for in the future? Well, I think the one is like right in front of our eyes and it is just loads of potential and that's online video. I mean, I think that's exploded. People are seeing the utility of it. Courts are seeing the utility of it. Um, you know, depending on how the pandemic goes, we could be using it for a long time, but even when, uh, you know, out of necessity, but even after that, we're going to start to say, wait, why, why am I driving somewhere you know, to, right. to, to do this? If I have a, if you think about it, like somebody who wanted to have like a, a really great, you know, rural practice, maybe the place they grew up in. Right. Um, if you have like the online video and the tools, I mean, that is totally, po- you know, that that becomes a real possibility. Whereas before you were going like, okay, so I got to drive three hours here. You know, I got to drive three hours back. Can I charge people? You know, all those sorts of things that kind of goes away to extent that you're doing elder law, you know, working with disabled clients, Mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. Online video just opens tons of things up. Um, And then, you know, eliminating, you know, and I think we've rethought what it means to reduce travel because you're usually thinking, oh, I want to reduce travel where I'm not going to plane and doing this sort of uh-huh. thing. But actually, there's a lot of travel. It's just like driving around and it's kind of local travel. And, uh, you know, so, so that I think uh, I just think there's so much there creative on it. Well, let me ask you two questions on this. First of all, so regarding rural areas and also the lower economic uh, client, you know, they may not have access to the internet. They may not have access to some of these devices that of course would allow for a fluid uh, video uh, conference. How does society or how do attorneys address this? Well, I think that attorneys are going, I think it's important for attorneys to get get behind the efforts on universal broadband. I mean, I just think that that is a key piece of access. I also think that sometimes we're making assumptions about um, what all smart, you know, that smartphones may carry us further on some of these things than we think. Uh Um, Also, people are willing to use libraries and other places. So the public library, as it looks is they look for ways to survive. Mm-hmm. That's one of one of the things to just to say, hey, look, we can provide a small conference room with internet access that you can uh, not even rent out, but it's like you can reserve. And so you could say, oh, I have a meeting with my lawyer at, at four o'clock mm-hmm. and, and I just reserve one of the conference rooms at the library down the street, um, you know? And so, so I think there we're, we're looking at that um, and we've sort of seen, like, I think the, the, like I said, sometimes I think we underestimate what the smartphones um, capabilities of, of people are. Because mm-hmm. um, I know that there were some courts, like in Michigan, where I'm at, uh, there were courts that were saying no, no smartphones allowed into in the courtroom by anybody. Right. And 
they've changed their opinion on that because um, it's the hub for so many people, right? right. How can right. you go in the courtroom and just sit around and then, you know, you got child care, you got, you know, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. all, all this other stuff happening and you're going like, well, that's, that's crazy. So I, I think we could see uh, some improvements there. And then I think as we've gone through the last three months or so, that um, we're a lot more accepting, I think, of uh, internet problems on video conferences than we used to be. I also think that we're sort of starting to change our thinking on maybe like the purest forms of confidentiality and mm -hmm. some of that to say, hey, we're willing to make some trade-offs. Um, right. And so it'll be interesting to see how that develops um, because, you know, I don't know if I were called to serve on a jury these days and I had the choice of being online or going to the courthouse, I mean, I'd be totally, I'd be totally well, online. Of course, it would be crazy to pick me, but that, that's another story. Right, but, but, you know, that kind of leads into the other question I want to ask on this topic here is that, you know, as, as an attorney, one of the things that I really prefer is to actually have my client physically in front of the judge or perhaps in front of the jury because something, you know, you, you just able to, if you, I, believe, I believe, present or sell your case so much better by having that actual, you know, person to person uh, eyesight in the same room. So in other words, you know, if I'm up for death row and I've got 12 different jurors, you know, virtually chiming in uh, from home with possible other distractions, I might be a little bit concerned that I'm not getting a, a fair trial. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, I think we'll, we'll do, and this is what lawyers are great at, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sliding scale. So right. if you would say, Hey, for my speeding ticket where I really didn't speed, speed because none of us do that i can appear online rather you know right go through a bunch of rigmarole that's one thing my daughter uh uh worked for a while in a domestic with a domestic violence uh unit and uh they did the online you know like protective orders and stuff and you're going like this is a great thing because you you really don't want to bring uh, people into into situations that could be you know in person at right. certain times, and so you start to say, well, um, what are the things that are going to make sense? And you're going to go like, yeah, I would not want to be uh, up on murder one, right? You know, on online, uh, I mean, <laughs> if my attorney was really good and the prosecutor wasn't so good, but you know, but typically you wouldn't want to do that. But in other cases, you'd say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally, totally fine with that. You know, like if I had a, you know, small claims, other things. So I, I think we'll start to say the experience, experiments will happen where they actually start to make sense. You know, so you go like, well, if I need to do a, a, a name change and I uh -huh. have to appear before somebody, like, why are you making somebody take a day off work, you know? <laughs> Um, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. Right. And then if we're going online, can we change the hours of the courts to go? So I, I just think that it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're by, by our training as lawyers, we're thinking like, Oh, here's, here's all the bad things that could happen. Here's where it doesn't make sense. And then you would go like, Oh wait, there's a, this whole other area where it could make a ton of sense. Uh, it won't hurt anybody, especially if you did something where you said, uh, Hey, if uh, if you had this online thing and you felt it was unfair, maybe it's a little easier to appeal right. or have a rehearing. You know that that would be fine. I sometimes used to back when I was in law school. I was in one of the first classes uh, when I was at Georgetown Law School where uh, we had a computer in the law seminar and we were talking about artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, the professor said, you know, if if you knew that your uh, you could be tried by artificial intelligence and, had, and, and assume we knew that the right answer, right, whether you were guilty mm -hmm. or not, and the AI could get it 95% accurate, but the human judge and jury could get it, you know, like 85, 90%. Like, which would you do? Would you rather take the judge and jury or the AI? So there were two of us who were like, 
you know, basically math people were going like, well, we'll take the AI. And like everybody in the class said, no, no, I want the judge and jury. And I was like, well, no, if, if I know that I didn't do it, then I would definitely take the AI. And if I had done it, I would definitely take the jury. You know, like well, because you want to persuade the jury, you can't persuade right. the jury. And yeah, the odds are the odds. You know, right, right. No, no, no. I'm with it. Uh, it makes that makes sense. I mean, hopefully, you won't come to that. Uh, you know, trial by jury or trial by AI. Um, although it's yeah, but for some things, you're going. You know, as we look at you know the whole access to justice area, and then um, and I think some areas. So I think there's really interesting stuff with technology and happening at the access to justice end and at the the very high end you know like where i was at at, at mastercard and right. there's they're super interesting in different ways and there's there's actually some some cool overlap but part of it is is trying to say can we step back and say well what what does make sense anymore like i last year i was talking with somebody in michigan passed uh, or legalized marijuana Mm-hmm. And so there's a question always that happens is like, how, how do you expunge all those simple possession cases from the past, right? Right. And they, they, uh, we could bait a little bit, but basically they, they should be. And then as you looked into that and said, well, well uh, I was talking with a judge who wanted to set up some clinics and, you know, uh, do all these cool things. And then you realize that the process for it is so clunky, you know? Like it was written for a time when this wasn't even on the horizon and the volume of potential expungements that, you know, like a marijuana possession uh, overturn could generate will blow out the system, right? There's no way. Um, And so you start to say, well, this is a place maybe where it makes sense to experiment with new kinds of technology and the online or, you know, can we do some, I mean, we're not ready for AI obviously, but, uh, but there could be something, you know, closer to the AI world where you can kind of streamline this stuff and while still, you know, building, I might, there's some of us, uh, I know a friend of mine was complaining about this today who might say that it'd be better. We spend our time trying to improve the uh, department of motor vehicle process before we take other things on. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's possibilities. So, well, 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 so wait, let's, let's, let's refocus a little bit. Cause I think we went off on a tangent from the online video. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's look at uh, like two other possible areas that attorneys should be looking be on the lookout for. Yeah, so so one I I throw into this big category called client driven, which we mm-hmm. I, I was kind of touching on, which right. is is kind of say, hey, what is it that clients really need, and how can clients work with you better? Um, so mm-hmm. I think this happens more on the transactional side, maybe than litigation side. But you know, when I talked about alerts and things and things like that, I can see that on on the litigation side. And then, uh, so you have the client side and then, then also I think this is where you start to see people looking at data to say, okay, so what is it that we, we have data um, and most firms have some kind of, data. Uh, we have the time tracking and what we worked on and you know, what we've been paid for and you know, uh, maybe we can, we can start to I- identify things to to make us more valuable and ready to help clients. So I have a friend who has a a medium-sized IP firm Mm -hmm. and he noticed, uh, they all had this feeling that about in March and April of every year, they got uh, a lot of trademark work. Uh And that was just their feeling. And so they were trying to figure out like why that might be. And they said, well, you know, maybe people have, you know, started a new business at the beginning of the year, or they have a new year's resolution that they're going to get better at the legal aspects of their business that they haven't been paying attention to. And trademark becomes one of those things. And then he said, I would just love to be able to go through all my data by somebody who is somebody who knows, you know, what to do or some, some tool that would work that would say, Hey, you know, the hunch you have is right. Or, 
and here's what you can do. And so then we can kind of staff up, we can change our marketing, we can, we can do it. So I think there's this data piece and there's just, uh, like I said, doing the survey and just asking, hey, here's how we're sending this stuff to you. Does, does this work for you? Is there a better way to get this? You know, clients always come, how lawyers make them call them to get copies of documents and then charge them for half an hour for being on the phone with them. Right. You know, and that's where the client portal is so, so attractive and actually probably uh, makes your client uh, in some ways more likely to call you with serious questions right, and right. talk to you longer. So, you know, so there's that. So I say the client driven piece, which in, is the part of technology that says, Hey, how can I start to, talk to my clients about technologies or other kinds of innovation that uh, that might might help them and then the third the third piece and, and this is really for the litigators out there but it's going to come uh, for for other people as well so I was seeing this at, at MasterCard where I worked in the with the group that that uh, was doing our most advanced technologies so so I did a lot of thought about uh, I had a lot of thinking about this in terms of the legal contest, but I would call this the move to non-document data. And so we're starting to see more voice, more voice commands, uh, the internet of things. So more uh-huh. sensors, we're starting to see location data, unbelievable amounts of location data. So, um, you know, a, in a car accident, like, you know, the cars are like a computer on wheels now. So there's going to be tons of, of information that uh-huh. are probably going to be better than the memories of the people who were involved <laughs> in the in the accident. Right. And we're already seeing the stuff of um, <clears throat> from the recent protests and things. Uh, we're seeing how much location uh, information was gathered and how that's starting to be uh-huh. used with pandemic uh-huh. track contact tracing. We're going to see even more of that. Um, and so you've, uh, you know, we're seeing it with, uh, uh, you know, photos, video, all these things. And lots of people have moved away from email to instant messaging to, you know, all, all these social media, all these things. So we're moving to this world that's, uh, you know, a lot different than the traditional, hey, discovery is document and email to maybe in some, the documents and emails relevant evidence that we have. And that's going to definitely in some areas of practice. Now that, that will be interesting to see. Well, thank you, Dennis. Can you tell us where people can find you? Yeah, I'm easy to find. I've been uh, at DennisKennedy.com for a zillion years. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I'm at Dennis Kennedy. Uh, lots of my articles, uh, podcast stuff, pretty easy to find. Google's not a bad place to f- find me these days because I have a little bit of an un- unusual name. So, uh, But generally the home is DennisKennedy.com and, and most everything I'm Dennis Kennedy because I got there before everybody, all the other <laughs> Dennis Kennedys did. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, it was great. Really fun. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. I hope you enjoy yourself, learn something new, and we'll come back in about two Tuesdays for another podcast. If you have any ideas about the presentation, questions about what we discussed today, or ideas about future episodes, please leave comments on the blog or email me directly at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy lawyering.